Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. I think by now you figured out we're living in a brand new year, right? 2023 is gone. Excuse me, 2022 is gone. Hey, at least you're awake. <laughs> yeah, it's been that kind of morning. A brand new year has begun, and an old year has passed. It's finished. It's in the history books. I've talked to a few of you, and I know that some of you are glad that 2022 is behind us. It's over. But some of you are a little bit anxious about 2023. And that's because there's a lot of things that are going to happen that we don't know about yet. I'm sure that some of you are excited about a fresh new start, a new beginning, a new opportunity, a new year that has a lot of hopes and promises that could be brought into your life. In your notes, you'll notice I have this statement, the opportunity for a new beginning is a wonderful thing. Some of us need a new beginning, need a new start, fresh start. Years ago, one of the first scripture verses that I memorized was from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation this morning. Paul wrote, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. What does Paul want you and I to understand from this verse? A couple of thoughts. First, I think he wants you to know that if you put your trust in Christ to make things right between you and God, then you have begun a new spiritual life that connects you to God. Key word there is connects. If you put your trust in Christ, it now connects you to God. You no longer belong to Satan. You've been snatched away. Your sins have been forgiven. And you've been adopted into the family of God. You now have a brand new relationship with the Lord. You have a, a, a spiritual life now. You are spiritually alive to God. You've been raised from the dead. So spiritually, you are healthy with the Lord. You've also received eternal life, which is a life that begins in the here and now, but then it never ends in heaven. Praise God. It never ends. If you're a new Christian, then you have been born again spiritually of imperishable seed, and you now have an eternal home waiting for you in heaven. I love the story found in John chapter 3 where Jesus speaks with Nicodemus. I could spend hours talking about that. I've thought about it a whole lot. But in this conversation, Jesus makes this amazing statement to Nicodemus, who was an old man. He said, I assure you that unless you are born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. You won't even see it. Let alone get in it. You won't see it. And that's when Nicodemus said to him, well, <laughs> what do you mean by this? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? You think about that. It's easy for a baby. And it's not easy for a baby to be born. <laughs> But can you imagine trying to birth something six foot tall, 235 pounds? No, 
What Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to understand is that salvation is impossible when men try to do it. In this situation, Nicodemus not only was, a, was an old man and a big man, but his mother may have already been deceased. So it was absolutely, totally impossible for him to go back and do that. But then Jesus says something else. He said, the truth is no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. Humans can reproduce only human beings, but the Holy Spirit gives new life, new life from heaven. So don't be surprised at my statement that you must be born again. He's very specific here. When Peter wrote a letter to the church, he said, for you have been born again. Your new life did not come from your earthly parents because the life they gave you will end in death. But this new life will last forever because it comes from, notice this, the eternal living word of God. Who is the eternal living word of God? It's Jesus, right? So this new life comes from Jesus Christ. Later in another letter to the church, Peter wrote these words. He says, as we know Jesus better, his divine power gives us everything we need for living a godly life, for being able to live this new life that we've been given. He has called us to receive his own glory and goodness, and by the same mighty power, he has given us all of his rich and wonderful promises. He has promised that you will escape the decadence of all you uh, 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 of, of all around you caused by evil desires and, and that you will share in his divine nature. In other words, his character, his power, his priorities, his plan, his promises. He goes on in verse 5 to say, so make, he's talking to us, so make every effort to apply the benefits of these promises to your life. Then your faith will produce a life of moral excellence. A life of moral excellence leads to knowing God better, and knowing God leads to self-control, and self-control leads to patient endurance, and patient endurance leads to godliness. Godliness leads to love for other Christians, and finally, you will grow to have genuine love for everyone. That's the way God loves. He loves everybody, right? Verse 8 says, the more you grow like this, the more you will become productive and useful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then look at verse 9. But those who fail to develop these virtues, they are blind, or at least very short-sighted, he says. They have already forgotten that God has cleansed them from their old lives of sin. Brothers and sisters, how, how productive, how fruitful are you? How useful are you for the kingdom of God? As we start a new year, we ought to be asking that question. What kind of difference do you make for the kingdom of God? We could also throw in this question. Do you have any Christian brothers and sisters that you don't love? You know, you might say, well, there's some I don't like. <laughs> we are commanded to love them. When you take Jesus to
to be your Lord and Savior, God brings about a spiritual transformation inside of you. And you receive a new identity that is connected or tied to your new birth. In other words, you are no longer who you once were. You're no longer that old you. Your old life is gone. Therefore, listen to this. You are now called to live in accordance with your new identity. Let me say it another way. If you call yourself a Christian, then act like one. Act like one. Speak like one. Love like one. Be who you claim to be. Be who God has made you to be. Be who your church needs you to be. Right? Jesus said these words, John 1334. So now I'm giving you a new command, a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. As a Christian, you've been given a new life to live with God. But you've also been given a new life to live for God. And the way you live, the way you speak, the way you love, that all makes a difference. You can help God's work. Or you can be a hindrance to God's work. We've all heard the old statement, one or two rotten apples will mess up a whole bushel basket, right? It only takes a couple. The Bible says that all Christians are called by God to change directions with the way that we live our lives. God calls us to be holy and and godly in the way we live. We are to be a reflection of God's mercy and grace. We're to be an example of his loving character. We are called by God to die to who we once were. God calls us to change directions and and live a new life for the glory of God. We, We all have a new life to live once we are connected to God. We have a new life to live. That's what Paul's talking about here. But something else I see is that we, when, when you become a new person in Christ, he also gives you the ability to live out this new life. You know, the, the beautiful thing about God is he wants us to be successful at being Christians. He really does. And here's why. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 and following says, What this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. All this newness of life is from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ did. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is the wonderful message that he's given to us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors and God is using us to speak to you. We urge you as though Christ himself were were here pleading with you. Notice what he said. Be reconciled to God. What does that mean? It means be connected to God. Come back to God. Have a relationship with God. For God made Christ who never sinned. To be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 
Here's reality, folks. When he saved you and me, he could have removed us immediately. He could have taken us at that moment. If he can take you later at the rapture or when you die, he could have taken you the moment that he saved you. But we are left here on earth to finish the work that Jesus began, and that is the work of reaching others who need to know about him. As one who has been reconciled, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Let me say it another way. You, as a believer, have been given a mission. We all have the same mission, and that is to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. We are all, as, as saved people, ambassadors of Jesus Christ. You know, an ambassador is an officially designated representative who is authorized to speak in a foreign land on behalf of the country that sent him or her. And that is a task that requires being faithful to that responsibility. We... we have a wonderful message that this lost world that we live in needs to hear. But for them to be willing to listen to our message, we first have to practice what we preach, right? We have to practice what we preach. I mean, how you live your Christian life makes an eternal difference. You can be the reason someone makes it into heaven, or you can even be the reason that they don't. We need to think about it. Friends, God calls us. He saves us. And he wants us to change directions. He wants you to be a new person that he made you to be. He wants you to make a kingdom difference. I love the words that Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, I urge you first of all to pray for all people. As you make your request, plead for God's mercy upon them and give thanks. Pray this way for kings and for all others who are in authority so that we can live in peace and quietness in godliness and in dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. For he wants everyone to be saved. Did, did you see that? Would you circle that word everyone? For he wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and people. He is the man, Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. You can circle that one too. This is the message that God gave to the world at the proper time. If you were here last week, you heard me quote Dr. Tony Evans with these words. He, he wrote, in grace, if grace is what God deposited for you, then faith is the way to make the withdrawal. That's a powerful statement. He's talking about faith here, but not just any kind of faith. He's talking about faith in Jesus Christ that makes you right between, makes things right between you and God. God has made that opportunity possible for you and for everybody else. But listen, just because it's been made available doesn't mean that everybody taps into it. You have to trust personally yourself in Jesus Christ. That's my question to you. Do you trust Jesus? Have you done that? It's important that you do. I, I said to you last week in my message that salvation is totally God's idea. God always takes the initiative in our salvation from start to finish. You don't go looking for God. You, you just don't do that. God comes looking for us. 
It is not in our nature to leave the world to come to God. We are all rebels by nature. We want to be our own God and do our own thing, whatever that might be. It was God's idea to come up with a plan to save our lost sinful souls. He's the one that tugs at our heart. He's the one that draws us to himself. There's a lot of scripture, and I, I'm going to share with you an abundance of it this morning, but there's a whole lot more. But notice what God said through Jeremiah the prophet. He said, long ago the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. I have pulled you in my direction. Jesus himself said, for people can't come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up from the dead. Well, friends, how in the world does God pull us in his direction? How does he do that? Uh, scripture says that he uses his unfailing love. He loves us and that tugs us. He also uses divine light, not just any light. He uses divine light in John chapter 1 verse 6. John wrote that God sent John the Baptist to tell everyone about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was only a witness to the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone. There's that word again. You can circle that one as well. He who gives light to everyone was going to come into the world. But although the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him when he came. Even in his own land and among his own people, he was not accepted but to all, to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. That's another version of the word born again. This was, or this is not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plans. This rebirth comes from God. Notice verse 14. So the word, notice that capital W-O-R-D, the word became human and lived here on earth among us. He was full of unfailing love. There it is. And faithfulness. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the only son of the father. So friends Jesus is the divine light. That God is still shining in the world today. He is the true light that gives light to everyone in the world. Now, now the key to this passage is what you do with this light. That's the key. Every night, you probably have lights on the outside of your house that you turn on for at least a little while. Lights on the outside of your house, what do they do? They draw bugs. They help you see, but they draw bugs. Right? Well, God's divine light is used by God to draw lost souls. The key, again, is what you do with God's light. Because, you see, that determines your eternal destiny. There, there are a couple of things that I, I want you to understand about the drawing nature of God's tug on our heart. First of all, I want you to understand that it is a universal drawing. Universal. That means it happens all the way around the world in all places. John 12, 32, Jesus said, And when I am lifted up on the cross, I will draw 
a handful of people to myself. It's not what it said, did it? There's that word again. I will draw everyone to myself. There is a drawing universally felt around the world because of what Jesus did on the cross. God uses him as the divine light to draw people to him. So why does God do that? Why does he draw people to himself? Why does God interrupt your life? Why does he tug at your heart? 2 Peter chapter 3. You've heard me read these words many, many times. Peter wrote, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return as some people think. No, he is being patient for, you could put your name there. He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish. So he's giving more time for what? Everyone. There's that word again. Everyone to repent. Bottom line, he's waiting for you to turn back to him. He's waiting for you. Many, many others. One of the things I love about God is that he is not interested in even one person winding up in hell. Hell wasn't made for people. It was made for fallen angels. He loves you too much to let you live in rebellion and then, there, then go to that place when you die. So God does whatever he has to do to get your attention. Some of us don't like the difficult things we go through, but sometimes God uses that to get our attention. He uses all kinds of things to pull us away from Satan. His drawing is universal. Anyone and everyone can be saved. And that's right, even you. I've had people say, well, you know, if I go to church, the the walls are going to cave in. The roof's going to fall in. No, (laughs) it's not. God's calling is universal. His drawing is also uh, one of those things that can be rejected. Just because he's tugging at your heart doesn't mean you're going to give in to it. When Stephen was taken before the Sanhedrin, arrested and eventually stoned, before that, as he was being tried, he said to them very boldly, You stubborn people. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? But your ancestors did, and so do you. Friends, salvation is not automatic. Everyone has to make their own decision. You have to decide for yourself. You can choose to believe or you can choose not to believe. You can accept Jesus or you can reject Jesus. But you will be the one that makes that call. I can't do that for you. Your parents can't do that for you. Nobody else can do that for you. You decide whether you're going to take Jesus or reject Jesus. But let me warn you. Don't waste the tugging of God on your heart. In other words, Don't waste a good opportunity to be saved. Don't waste the opportunity of conviction. I've said many times through the years that the very first time that God pulls at your heart, that is your greatest opportunity to be saved. Why? Because your heart is soft. It's soft. It's pliable. It's penetrable. You, you, You can hear God. You can feel God. You can experience God better that first time than at any other time in your life. You see, every time you say no to the drawing or the tugging of God on your heart, your heart gets callous to the point that it becomes very hard. 
and, and, and it gets harder for you to be able to hear God. And I'm afraid, based on what I've read in Scripture, that your heart can become so calloused that you can never be saved. I have met some of those people who have had so many opportunities to be saved and they've turned down God so many times that now they will never be saved. You say, is that even possible? Well, you be a judge. Let me read some scripture for you. There's a great account found in Acts 28 that talks about that. Dr. Luke writes, so a time was set and on that day, a large number of people, they came to Paul's house. Paul was under house arrest. He told them about the kingdom of God and taught them about Jesus from the scriptures, from the five books of Moses and the books of the prophets. He's preaching from the Old Testament because the New Testament didn't exist. He began lecturing in the morning and he went on into the evening. You just think I preach long. Notice what verse 24 says. Some believed, but some didn't. Do you see choice there? Do you see free will being exercised? I do. But after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they, they left with these final words from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to our ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, notice verse 26, Go and say to my people, you will hear my words, but you will not understand. You will see what I do, but you will not perceive its meaning. Why? For the hearts of these people are hardened. And the ears cannot hear. They, notice it says that, they have closed their eyes. So that their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And then notice these last words words and they cannot cannot turn to me and let me heal them what does that mean it means they've reached the point they can't be saved you don't want to go there folks listen you don't want to be that kind of person when Paul wrote to the Ephesians he said with the Lord's authority let me say this live no longer as the ungodly do for they are hopelessly confused their closed minds are full of darkness. They are far away from the life of God because they, notice that, they have shut their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They don't care anymore about what is right and wrong, and they have given themselves over to, the, to immoral ways. Their lives are filled with all kinds of impurity and greed. The writer of Hebrews said, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, he's writing to Christians here, I think, but maybe those who pretend as well. He says, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. We're starting a new year. Can I ask you, are you Headed in the wrong direction? Have you given that any thought? Will you consider turning around and coming back to God today? Will you consider that? It is extremely important 
that you turn to God, turn to him today if he's tugging at your heart. Why? Because every time you turn him down, your heart gets harder to the point that you might become one of those that can't hear God anymore and cannot be saved. Isaiah the prophet speaks for God and God, God spoke through him saying these words, Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him while he is near. You know, it's kind of like God comes by and gives you an opportunity. That is when you need to reach out to him. He says, let the people turn from their wicked deeds. Let them banish from their minds the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that, they may that, that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Friends, only when God draws or tugs at your heart can you be saved. I have had people say to me, Pastor, I know I need to do that, but there's some things I want to do with my life, and somewhere in the future I will give my heart to Jesus. In other words, I'll get saved when I want to get saved. No, you won't. You won't. It is something that God does. You don't do it. Jesus said, I assure you that anyone who believes in me has eternal life. He says, for people can't come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. The beautiful thing and the beautiful promise of the gospel is that anyone who is willing to change directions and trust Jesus can have the gift of eternal life. But the key Again, the key to understanding salvation is that it is God that comes looking for us. Salvation is totally God's idea. You don't, you don't just get saved when you want to get saved. God is the one that takes the initiative in your salvation from start to finish. He's the one that finds us where we are floundering, where we're struggling, where we're lost out there in the world. He searches for us while we're wandering. He meets us in our running he interrupts our earthly plans. He loves us in spite of our rebellious nature. Well, Pastor, what does that look like? You guys ask such great questions. What does that look like? What does it look like when God comes looking for us? You know, I, I found the answer to that. I think it looks like Jacob in the 28th chapter of the book of Genesis. We're going to look there for a moment. And I think as we begin to look there, it's safe for me to be able to say as, as we begin to understand this story that, that Jacob was a fugitive on the run. Maybe not like the murder suspect Brian Kohlberger. Hmm. Jacob hadn't murdered anyone. He never did. But he was certainly no angel either. Read his story and you're going to see that, that Jacob was a master of deception. He was a trickster. He had a hard time doing things the right way. He blatantly lied to his father three times and he deceived him. Deceiving people was a terrible character flaw of Jacob. And then for a second time he literally took advantage of 
of and stole from Esau what rightfully belonged to his brother. You know the story. First, he took his brother's birthright, kind of tricked him with a bowl of soup. <laughs> and then he stole his father's blessings, the blessings that belonged to Esau. And so because of Jacob's deceptive, lying nature, his brother Esau hated him and wanted to kill him. Genesis 27, verse 41, it says Esau hated Jacob because he had stolen his blessing. And, and he said to himself, my father will soon be dead and gone, and then I will kill Jacob. Chapter 28, there in verse 10, has Jacob literally running from his life. He's running from Esau. But friends, I believe not only is he running from Esau to save his life, I believe that he's running from God because he doesn't want to give up his life. In other words, Jacob wanted to live his life doing his own thing without God. He didn't want to do things God's way. He's running from God. And, and I say that because nowhere do you see Jacob asking God, what do you want me to do with my life, Lord? You don't see that. What you see is Jacob is always scheming. He's always deceiving to get what he wants. That's just who he was. A lot of people are that way. Some things never change. When James wrote his letter, he wrote to the church and he said this, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it the whole army of evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, and so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, and you can't possess it, so you fight and you quarrel to take it away from them. And yet the reason that you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole motive is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Jacob never prays asking God for anything. He just takes it. He makes his own plans. He's not interested in what God wants. He's only interested in what he wants. He's a very selfish person who doesn't know God. So what does God do? God interrupts Jacob's life and plans to get his undivided attention. Now, what does God want when he does that? Why, why does he meet Jacob out in the middle of nowhere when Jacob's life was in a mess? It's, it's really simple. It boils down to this and this alone. God wants a relationship with Jacob. He wants a relationship with Jacob. He wants to be in relationship with Jacob. Jacob doesn't want that. He's not looking for that. He's not looking for God. So God goes to where Jacob's mess took him. Look with me at verse 10, chapter 28. Meanwhile, it says, Jacob left Beersheba, and travel toward Haran. If you know anything about uh, maps, you know that he's leaving the promised land and he's headed back where his father came from. He's going backwards. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there 
for the night. Jacob found a stone for, for a pillow and, and laid down to sleep. It says Jacob stopped at a good place. If you've camped, you, you, when you go into the woods or wherever you go, you, you look for a good place to throw your tent, right? You look for a good place to, to pitch your tent. It said he found a good place. Later we find out that this good place was actually a very special place. You see, Jacob's grandfather, this is important, folks. For those of you who are grandparents, this is important. Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, met God at this very same place. It's not an accident that Jacob is there. And Abraham built an altar there in this place, and he worshiped God there in this place. In fact, Abraham worshiped God at this place more than once. It is a very special place where he encounters God. What I didn't know until I did a little bit of math was that Abraham and Jacob's life overlapped about 15 years. Critical years in the life of a child, a young teenager. Grandparents, you can make a difference in your kids. Keep up the good work. Please do that. I see, I think, this grandfather sharing with this grandson about his encounters with God in this place and with a number, number of other places. And what you find when you go back and you look at the places that Jacob encountered God, you find that his grandfather had encountered God in those same places. Is that an accident? No. No. Probably. On the surface, this was just an ordinary place. And Jacob came there running for his very life because of the dire circumstance of his own making. But he was about to have a supernatural, extraordinary experience with God in this very same place. It says in verse 11, Jacob found a stone for a pillow and he lay down to sleep and as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from earth all the way up into heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down on it. What a dream. Can you imagine having a dream like that? Dr. Evans said Jacob found, uh, Jacob was, was watching divine activity at work even in a messy human situation. Prior to this dream, all that he could see was a mess. But God opened his eyes to a spiritual reality that transformed his viewpoint. Friends, I, I, I believe it transformed his life. I believe it's what turned Jacob around, especially spiritually. I want you to note that the Lord was there watching over Jacob even before Jacob knew him personally. Look at verse 13. At the top of the stairway, that's way up there in heaven, stood who? The Lord, Yahweh. That is the personal name for God. Stood the Lord, and he said, I am the God, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. Notice what he says here. The ground that you're lying on belongs to you. <laughs> this is your property, boy. And I will give it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the, the dust of the earth. They will cover the land from the east to the west and from the north to the south. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. 
What's more, I will be with you and I will protect you wherever you go. I will someday bring you safely back to this land and I will be with you constantly until I have finished giving you everything that I have promised. Jacob was on the run. He was a fugitive. He's running for his life and yet God promises him this. You may be on the run, but I want you to know, son, I'm with you. Wow, what a statement. I am with you, and I will protect you. Yeah, Esau may want to kill you, but I'm going to protect you, and I will bring you back to this land. No matter where your running takes you, I'm going to bring you back because this belongs to you. I will not abandon you, and I will finish all that I have promised you. What a promise for a man with a messed up life. What a promise. Now why in the world would God do that for someone like Jacob? Why would he do it for you? Why would he do it for me? Why would he do it for anybody? It's a really simple answer. It's because of his unfailing love for sinners. God loves you where you are. He'll take you just as you are. You don't have to clean your life up before you come to the Lord. You come as you are. I've always said, Jesus is the best fisherman. He catches us, and then he cleans us. You think about that. That's right. He doesn't say, go get your life cleaned up, and then come to me. He said, no, you come as you are, and I'll clean you up. He can do for you what you can't do. I remember my dad saying that. He said, son, I know, I know that everything you've said to me and talking to me about Jesus, I know I need Jesus, and I know I need to go to church, but there's some things I want to clean up in my life before I go to church. And I said, dad, you'll never get there. If you've got to clean it up, you'll never get there. Why? Because you've spent the majority of your life messing it up. You've spent a lot of your life trying to clean it up. And you had not got there yet. And you're not going to get there. But if you'll come to Jesus just the way you are, he'll clean you. A month later, my dad was saved. And I saw God begin that cleaning process in his life. He can do it for you. God loves you. In spite of who you are, God loves you. You don't deserve it. But God loves you. Nobody loves you like God loves you. Praise God for the love of God. I want you to notice how Jacob responds to God. Because I, I could spend hours here. I promise you I won't. But th th this is a powerful thing. Because when God finds you, when he encounters you, when he reaches out and interrupts your life, there's a response that you have to make to him. It says in verse 16, then Jacob woke up. Dreams don't last forever. But this was more than a dream. God spoke to him through this dream. This dream wasn't the result of pizza or lasagna. This was a divine dream. He woke up and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. You may not have thought about that as you've come to church today, that the Lord is in this place, but he is. Where two or more are gathered together, he says, I will be in your midst. By the very fact that there are Christians here, God is here. 
But the Holy Spirit is here as well. They're one and the same, right? Surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. Could be you. It says he was afraid. I remember the night I gave my heart to Jesus, I was scared to death. You know what I was scared of? I was scared of leaving without Jesus. I was scared of giving my heart to him, but I was scared of leaving without him. He says, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the gateway to heaven. Listen, for some of you who are sitting in here this morning, this place has been a gateway between you and heaven. You've, you, you, you found heaven because you came into this place. That's what Jacob is saying here. This is the house of God, the gateway of heaven. For some of you, the only way you're going to find heaven is to do what you've been challenged to do here today. This is the gateway. Churches are the gateways to heaven. The next morning it said he, he got up very early. Why? Because he thought about it in the darkness. Couldn't wait for daylight for him to do something with what he had just experienced. It says he took the stone that he had used as a pillow and he set it up as a memorial pillar. And then he poured olive oil over it. He anointed this place. This was special for him now. Not just his grandfather, but now for him. And he named the place Bethel, house of God. Though the name of the nearby village was Luz, it now in Jacob's life would always be called Bethel. But notice verse 20. Then Jacob made this vow. In other words... He was going to be a different person after this encounter with God. He was about to make a commitment to God. He was about to put his self out there. Notice what he says. If God will be with me and protect me on this journey and give me food and clothing and if he will bring me back safely to my father, then I will make the Lord what? My God, my God. This memorial pillar will become a place of worship, for worshiping God. And I will give God a tenth of everything he gives me. Where did he learn that? Where did he learn the concept of tithing? Abraham. Abraham. I remember the day Joyce's dad accepted Christ. He was fixing to go have a heart catheterization and he was scared to death. He was afraid he was going to die. And he looked at me and he said, Randy, I want to talk to you in my bedroom. Your father-in-law ever called you into the bedroom? <laughs> <laughs> he came and sat down on the bed and he said, sit right here. And he began to tell me his, what he was afraid of. And, and I knew he was lost. And I said to Kenny, this is how you can be saved. This is how your life can change. And this is how you can become a part of the family of God and take part in the promises of God. And, 
And I heard Kenny pray and receive Christ. I saw it. Kenny was a tightwad. I believe he died with half of the first dollar he ever earned. But two days after he prayed to receive Christ, he called Joyce's mother's pastor and said, Brother Don, I've prayed and accepted Christ. Now, I want you to explain to me this thing called tithing. I knew Kenny got saved. Yeah. He was serious about God. God, if you read the rest of this story about Jacob, you're going to find that God kept his promise to Jacob. Everything that he promised Jacob, he completed. And you're also going to find that Jacob made God his Lord. My question to you today is, what are you going to do with Jesus? You have a great opportunity today to change directions. To go in a different direction in 2023. Will you do that?